Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? A verdict? Welcome to the John and Jordan on Justice podcast. Your weekly deep dive into personal injury and wrongful death law. All right. All right. Touching on everything torts, legal tech, trying cases to verdict, and the outlandish stories that come with them. And now, here are your hosts, John Fisher and Jordan Reed David. Alrighty, what's up everybody? You've got John Fisher here, but there is no Jordan Reed David on this episode. It's just going to be me. Um, Jordan is on out celebrating his 10-year anniversary with his wife. Um, that's kudos to them. Making it 10 years, it's a great accomplishment. And we're happy to give him that time away from the office to spend time with his with his lovely wife and enjoy that time together. So, so what I want to do today is a little different, right? We've had guests on the show. We've obviously talked about a variety of things. And, and what I want to give the benefit of the listeners is, is what I do and how I really prepare for trial. Right, we are a trial-centered practice. Um, you know, I've I've tried over 20 cases to verdict now, even at a younger age, which which is harder to do on the plaintiff side um, as a young lawyer. But you know, that's something that I'm I'm proud of. So I want to give the benefit of everyone of, of what do I do? What are what are some of the things in, in preparation for trial? And I and I think what you need to think about when you're preparing for trial is really when you sign up a case, right? And, and I've talked about this before is that I look at every single case like it's a trial case, right? What, what do I need? What evidence do I want? You know, starting from the time I sign the case up, some of that preliminary investigation, because some of the best things that you can get for trial can be found immediately. For instance, if you've got a car crash case, you know, you can get the 911 call, the body cam footage of the officers, like all of that important evidence that you're going to want to show at trial. So really, when you think about preparing for trial, you really want to try to get everything done before you even file suit. So that way, if you had to try the case that day or the next day, you know, you're ready. That's where you want to start. But obviously, sometimes it doesn't work that way. We, we have everything together. And then ultimately, you know, at least here in Florida, we'll, we'll file the notice for trial after the pleadings have closed and the court will put us on uh, a trial docket. Now, we've been getting mixed things in terms of we've been getting case management orders kind of sua sponte by the court. We, we've getting, then we're getting trial orders. Some are conflicting and then which one governs. So it's kind of complicated. I guess it's per case to which one's governing. But look, you're ultimately going to get a trial date. And from those trial date, you're going to get various deadlines, the things that need to be met in order to prepare for trial. So one of the things that I do when, I, when, I, when I'm preparing for trial, one of the first things that I do is I make sure that I have all of the evidence, right? And specifically all the evidence that the defense has. Now, the defense routinely requests medical records. Um, they get surveillance of my client. They do all of those things. So what I want to make sure is that I have every single piece of evidence that the defense has. I want all the medical records of my client past and and post-accident or post-crash or post-injury and those before. And then I want to make sure that I've gotten, have I asked for surveillance? Have I gotten impeachment evidence? So I want all of those things that I can put together so that I can review and then strategize, right? I, I want to have every single thing that that I'm that the defense has so I can kind of get an idea of where they're going to go and then how I counteract that you know and I, and I talk about you know kind of you know the good things and the bad things and 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 I'll give you a specific example 
a lot of times in these cases when you're dealing with it, an injury victim is the defense likes to point at these obscure physicians that they may or may not go see and point out and say, well, here they are with their review of systems and their 12-point examination that says that, you know, for instance, in a, in a spinal injury case that they did not have neck pain. Now, sometimes they may be going to a podiatrist or somebody for a thyroid condition that is likely not performing an orthopedic examination, but that's what the defense does. They take those records and say, look, here they are, post-crash, they went to this doctor, they presented, and here they are, they're not making any mention of the crash, any mention of the injuries to the neck, and they're not, and then the review of systems, and if they do, they quote-unquote claim to have done a physical examination, which they don't, it says it's normal. And so you have to deal with that, right? That's that's one of the, the, the bad things, I guess, one of the bad facts that you want to address. And you can put that into context and say, look, one of the ways that I put that into context is I would say, look, when you go to a doctor claiming a pain, for instance, in your foot, I'm going to tell you what's necessary for the injuries into my foot, you know? I'm not talking about my neck injury because it's not related to my foot. I'm there to see that particular doctor for that particular injury. And I'm going to give him all the information I think that is relevant to that. And that's how I would present it in opening statements when I put it into context. And it kind of takes the wind out of the sails. But what you can do, because the defense does it, is you can do the exact same thing but pre-crash or pre-injury. You can get these medical records and you want to go through and read them and find all of these good facts for you where, in the same token, the here they are not complaining of pain to their neck. The examination is showing normal. And in particular, I had I have a slip and fall case. And in that particular case, the there in the week before, you know, there was a complaint or a trip to the doctor where the person was saying my neck is normal. They did an examination and the neck pain was fine. I mean, why is that important? Because three months before, they were getting physical therapy with complaints of pain to their neck. We said it's resolved. They said it's not. And here they are with medical records showing in between those two operative dates, meaning the date of that treatment and the date of injury, here they are with this record that shows that they were, in fact, not complaining of anything with respect to their neck. So... You want to be able to go through all of those things and find, you know, the good and the bad. Read it. See what you can do. Write it down. You know, I, I, I put together, you know, binders of medical records and kind of tab them out just so I can have, you know, good talking points and bad talking points. Because you, gotta, you need to handle that in different ways at trial. So once, that, that's kind of the first thing that I do. I make sure that I get everything together. Now, the second thing that I do, it's really not the second thing. It's kind of the what it's all-encompassing is that your mindset for trial, right? You can have different mindsets for, you know, like depositions and mediations, you know, but trial is a different animal, right? And and I think what's – it's it's not as big of an animal as people think, right? And I, I think that – People are afraid of trial. They think it's some unmanageable mechanism in front of a jury, right? Now, there's different parts. There's a lot of work to get up to the trial. There's motions to eliminate that happen. But the trial process is really it's, you know, you've got jury selection, opening statements, testimony, 
closings, right? Those, those are kind of the main important aspects of it. So when you get into your mindset of trial is that, you know, you want to have and recognize that this is an opportunity, right? It's not something bad. It's an opportunity that you can get full and fair justice for your client, right? The, the insurance carrier, you've given them probably many different opportunities to pay the policy limits. They didn't, I'm, and what, what we do is we send a final unequivocal settlement demand that says this is it. This is your chance to pay the policy limits. You don't pay the policy limits, we are going to trial. And when, you know, they, they don't pay, and sometimes they've come and said, hey, we're going to pay the policy limits, and we've said, no, it's too late. You know, so a lot of times on these, like, smaller 10Ks, 25Ks, they've had an opportunity. But now you were afforded the opportunity to go to trial, get an excess verdict, and effectuate better justice for your client than they would have if the insurance company did the right thing, which they should have done, pay the policy limits. So get in that mindset of that. You are the voice for your, your clients, and you, many times you've got the opportunity to get them more than you would have if it had settled before. That, that's, that's the way I look at it. And so when you come into trial, you should be excited. You should be energized. You should be understanding that you've prepared. You've done your work. You've done your due diligence, the homework. The, the, the groundwork to get here is done. Now it's the, I got to go perform. I got to step up to the plate. I got to get me a hit. And sometimes, you know, what I do is, is I look at it, all I need to do is win every single day. You don't have to win the case from day one, right? You just have to think, when you, if, if everything is even starting day one, on each and every day, did you win the day, right? So when you, you pick a jury, you know, you'll go through the jury selection process, did you get a good jury? You know, do you feel like you got a good jury? If you do... Then I think you can say, you can argue and say did you know did we get one that we think is going to be better for us versus the other side, that may be winning the day. Opening statements, really, the way I look at opening statements is that I just want to be even, right? If I I don't have to be winning my case now. Opening statement to me is the most important aspect of trial. I I think jury selection, and opening statement is is most important. You know, and there's studies that suggest that people, they make up their minds very early on in a case. And so when you present it and you present it in the light, you want to look, you know, knowledgeable. Um, you want to look being honest and trustworthy and present them everything, even the good and the bad. I, I was listening, you know, something you, we think about or maybe don't think about is that when you when you have a trial presentation, there's there's really... There was a there was a guy on TikTok that I follow that I watched some of his. He's like a motivational, not a motivational speaker, but he's like a speech coach, right? And so what he says, there's a couple of different things he says, but one of the things I looked at today was he talks about there is a visual presentation that we have, meaning us as lawyers, we have a nice suit, we are clean cut. You know, for me, I have a beard, so it's shaved down to an appropriate level, um, you know, but you're ready to go. That's your visual presentation. Then you have your vocal presentation, which is how you communicate through your voice that can present and give jurors assumptions based on how you act and speak, right? He talks about, 
you know, they can give con, you know, there was, in this instance, he was asking the crowd, do you think that I am friendly? And people raised their hands and he made a joke and was like, well, I'm, I noted all the people who said they didn't think I was friendly. And then asked, do you think I'm intelligent? And people raised their hands. Yes. And he's like, you don't know me. You just met me and you don't have the base of knowledge to know whether or not I am friendly and whether or not I'm in fact intelligent. But what he said is that be, but because of his visual presentation and his vocal presentation, he allows people to make that assumption. So when you're thinking about trial, you know, this is why, you know, at, at University of Miami, when we did the, um, the litigation skills program, sometimes there would be times where we'd be videotaped, videotaped and we would look at kind of the um, stylistic presentation, your voice inflection, you know, all of those things is because those are the kind of things that matter towards your visual presentation. And so you want to be conscientious of, you know, you know, they, they say look good, sound good, be good, or do good. I don't know. I mean, that's, there's a variety of different ways you can say that. I'll just mush it all together. But it's true. If when I go in, you speak confidently, you talk to the jury, you be in, a human being in jury selection, you talk to them in opening statements, you, you present everything with that, that idea that you are the most credible person in the room. And I believe that. When I go to trial, I'm like, I'm the most credible person here. I'm doing the right thing. I'm fighting for somebody. And I'm going to make a difference. But I'm going to tell you everything about the case, good, bad, or otherwise. And every single thing that's bad is coming from me. And, you know, I've had those cases where I've sat down and it, it didn't, like I, did, I forgot something and then I hear the defense say it and it's really bad for my case. And I was like, I cannot believe I forgot that. And I had, I remember I had a juror look at me like, you P-O-S, you're a piece of shit. Like you, you are uh, like every, I feel like every single bad stereotype this person had you know, was against me. Ultimately, he became the four person and I got a defense verdict. You know, I, I think they even came out and hugged the defendant after we were done. I mean, it was just about as bad a case as it could happen. But, you know, from that, you know, I, I looked at it as like, that's a teaching opportunity to recognize like every single thing bad, it's got to come from me. So what are some of the, like the resources? I, I want to talk a little bit about that because I'm, I'm mindset and I kind of rambled a little bit into different aspects. But I want to know, what are some of the resources for trial? When I started out, you know, as a young lawyer, the, what I tried to do is, like, learn from other lawyers, right? That, if, if there's anything that I can tell you about is, is you as a juror want to be able to, to learn from what do other people do, right? Take bits and pieces from the lawyers and make it your own. When I, my first case I tried, all I had was, like, the damages three by David Ball. That was it. I read some of it, and I tried. I got a defense verdict. What I do now is I've looked at some of the stuff like what does you know, Keith Mitnick do? What does Joe Free do? What does Nick Raleigh do? And, and you can look at it through the books they have, right? Trial by Human, Don't Eat the Bruises, and the other one was Deeper Cuts, I think, the new Mitnick book. And what you can do is kind of use what they say and apply that to who you are and apply that to your case and just try different things, right? And if you don't have, if you don't know what CVN is, CVN is courtroom viewer network. This allows you to watch trials, opening statements, sometimes jury selection, and you can see what all these other lawyers do. 
And I think that that for me was very beneficial. You know, in the recent case that I tried with the traumatic brain injury case, I had not done a detailed synopsis of a traumatic brain injury. However, I looked at what Nick Raleigh had done in uh, the case he had Beltran versus Home Depot. If you if you have a traumatic brain injury case and you want to look at CBN, watch his opening statement. It's very good in the sense that the way he explains how the brain functions, the different loads of the the lobes of the brain, how they intercommunicate, how information is perceived, and when you have damage to a particular area, how that affects that communication. And then what you do is then you juxtapose that to your client's injury, how they were damaged, and how that affected the very things that that particular lobe damage would do. And that's what I did. I took some of it, made it my own, and, you know, had people say, like, look, I've never seen a presentation on a brain injury case that that educational, educational and interesting because, you know, and, and so I try to be, I guess, because of that, I'm, I guess I'm the teacher, right? Sometimes we need a, a teaching moment to give the jury something to learn and how they can apply that to your case. So those are some really important resources for trial. Um, and then if you, if you have an opportunity and, and I know we had jury X on the, on the, um, the podcast, work with a jury consultant, you know, work with, you know, like I said, jury selection is the most important thing. If you can work with a jury consultant, you, you have the funds and the type of case to do it, do it. You know, we focus grouped it. If you have the kind of the case that you need to focus it with big, the big damage focus group, it. find out like some of the things that you may not be thinking of. It's, it's really powerful to have like an idea of like the first time that you're going, you know, to, to trial, you have an idea of what are some of the things that jurors may be looking at. It's, it's no different. The way I look at it is if you're, you know, a professional baseball player and you're trying to, to get a base hit, you practice, you look at different pitches, you, you look at footage from that particular pitcher, you know, his type of sequences, you get information. And I think you as, as, as trial lawyers, the more information that we have, the better that we can be for our presentation and the better that we can uh, accomplish in terms of a result for our clients. And so those are, you know, really some of the, some of the important things of um, having, you know, that information. It, 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 will, it will change the, the dynamic. Um, and then really there's the trial itself. And, you know, trial... Trial can seem, it can be a lot in, in the sense that it can be exhausting. Like I, I have, I get like mental fatigue, right? My brain, you know, because you're thinking on the go. Um, you've got a lot of issues that come up sometimes with unexpected, some are expected. You know, you still got to handle your presentation. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of, you know, maneuvering in the courtroom. So sometimes I get like a brain I don't know. It's like the front, like the, sometimes the forehead. I get like pain in my in my forehead um, after a trial. So what I try to do is like, you know, people talk about health and fitness. It's important, you know, in trial. Sometimes I I don't have the opportunity to get up in the morning and go for a run. Sometimes I do, right? But sometimes I'm up early and I'm prepping. I start I start ready. Those wheels are running because what I did the night before was like as soon as I leave trial, 
I got to go to decompress. I take some little bit of time off. I go get something to eat. And then I come back. And if we've got some additional work to prep for the night before, that's when I do it. Because I just, when you're in the trenches, you, you need time to step back and then look and reassess. And, and it's good to have a team, right? You know, I don't, I don't, I may, may or may not have mentioned this, but I find it to be very, um, would, would find it to be very problematic to try a case by myself. You know, as here I am on a podcast by myself and, and I find it to be it's not uncomfortable, but it's, it's strange in the dynamic that I don't have anyone to bounce an idea off of. I don't have anyone to bounce a thought off of, you know, in trial, it's no different, right? I want to be able to bounce ideas off someone. I want to be able to, to speak with someone and see what their thought is or what their perspective is. And, you know, I know that, you know, my partner, when he was a public defender, sometimes, I mean, he was trying cases by himself, you know, it's like him against the state. And, you know, I couldn't imagine that, you know, in the civil side, because, you know, I'm, I don't profess to be the best, um, I aspire to be, and I got a long way to go, but I don't, I, I think and respect everyone's input because everyone can add something, even if it's small, that that's something I didn't look at. And so what I do, you know, and I, they taught this in trial team, <clears throat> Even if I don't have anything to say, I'd say, can I have a brief moment to confer with counsel, with my co-counsel? And I'll go ask questions. I was like, is there anything I missed? Did you see anything? Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, Jordan will have a note of like, you need to ask these questions. I've done cases with, um, you know, Zach Bodenheimer, who's on the podcast. Same thing. Like he's got box questions of like, you didn't ask this. Go in. A, and it's like perfect. And like, because it's, I try to be less scripted and more in the moment, right? I think that sometimes when, you know, the reason why people say don't have notes and it's not, you can have notes, you can have, but if you, if you get too stuck in the notes, you don't listen. And if you don't listen, you, you can't kind of turn on where the witness is going, you know, and I'll give you an example in the last trial that was the, you know, that brain injury case, I was just asking about, um, the video and we played the video and something that I had not picked up on, but for right there was that the nurse said, you know, if you've got, if you still have issues with this dizziness, let me know. That's what the nurse said. It's on camera, but it was not documented in the medical records that she had dizziness. And the defense was saying, well, she doesn't even have dizziness. So it became a very important aspect, but it was with a it wasn't even my client. It was like a fact witness who took the video. And then I just happened to turn that up and said, did you hear this? What did the nurse say? So that she was, ha so was she having complaints of dizziness at that time and kind of really was able to redirect that into a direction that, that kind of helped undercut the other side because I was, you know, listening and paying attention. And, and, but then it goes back to the point, well, how did I miss that in the first place? You know, and that's, so then it's like, well, you know, I had 13 experts across both sides that did I miss it? Yeah. But was I able to adapt and be ready for it when I found it? Sure. And sometimes that happens live in trial. And so you want to be able to listen, be unscripted, but trust in the, the opinions, the statements, the, that your co-counsel can bring you. And that's something, you know, that I've, 
recognize, but it's also it's I sometimes I have difficult doing it. I have difficult letting go of big roles. You know, I, I always want to be the one to pick the jury. I always want to be the one to do opening statement. It's it's just what it you know, because it's so important. You know, you want to close, fine, no problem. You can close, you can go through the money, you can walk through it, that's fine. Well, I'll help you prepare, I'll do rebuttal. But there's something to me that it's very it's you got to be able to trust your trial partner. Like, you know, you're in the gauntlet together, you're just as good, they're good and and understand that they can do something differently. And just because it's, it may not be exactly how you would do it doesn't mean it's not great. And that's one thing that I struggle with is is recognizing the ability to let go. And I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if that's ever going to change. And you know, I, I I forget who it was. I think it was, you know, some of the mentality that a trial lawyer has or should have is that you believe that you're the best person to do the job, and, and no one can do it as good as you. And sometimes. I believe that and say, look, I'm the one to do this. I've worked up this entire case. I know it better than everyone else. I need to be the one doing this. And it's just too much to do everything, you know, to do jury selection, to do opening, to do like, I, you know, I, I let go of some of the cross-examination of experts that I wanted to do because I just, you know, I couldn't do it anymore. I, could, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot to do, and that's the benefit of being able to, to share the load. So then, you know, you can focus on other things. And <clears throat> so that's important. I mean, you know, when we're in trial, you know, the ability to share the load between, you know, your, your advocates is, the, is something that is, I think is inherently valuable in what we do. Now, another side of trial that I really don't think about or I, well, I try to think about it, it's the most important about it, is like the client, you know. I read, I forget, I don't know, I think it was in a book. It was, it was basically looking at a personal injury case from a client's perspective and how everyone is judging them and poking them and prodding them and saying that they're, you know, they're liars and they're frauds. And it's like, is this fair, you know, for them to go through when they were wrong because of someone else's negligence? Like someone else hurt them. They didn't ask to be in that situation. And here they are, people basically calling them liars, you know. And so I feel this this responsibility to protect my client. And I take great offense. Um, and, you know, I've done this and I know that, you know, Zach, Zach does the same thing, is that I take great offense when you try to call my client a liar because they're not. You know, people misremember. They may, you know, but they're not just openly committing fraud because you hit them and they're hurt and they didn't remember a back complaint from nine years ago in one record. I mean, it's just preposterous. And so what I try to do is insulate them as much as I can um, from, from that aspect of trial. And I think, you know, kind of moving forward, what I want to do is not even have to have my client there, right? Have them there, come in, they're there for jury selection, opening statements, they're there to testify, and that's it. Maybe back for closing. But otherwise, because I think the jury... If they look at your client, they look fine, they look like they're uncomfortable, and they're uncomfortable sitting there for, you know, a week, they're going to pick up on that, and they're going to hold it against your client. And, you know, we can talk in jury selection about, you know, judging a book by its cover, and, you know, she's got a permanent injury, but you can't see it, you know, and do all the things we can to, to, to bring it to someone's attention and keep them with an open mind, but we're still human, 
we're still jurors are still people, you know, and you know, it's a collection of their life experiences and who they are. And, you know, sometimes, you know, jurors are smart, you know, it's common sense. They might be like, look, she looks fine. She looks normal. And here she is asking me to give her $5 million. Uh uh-uh. And so what you want to do is if you can limit that in any certain way, you want to limit that. Limit that by saying, you know what, it's not going to be um, my client sitting here the entire time. They're going to basically go and come in when they need to, but otherwise you're just going to hear from the doctors, you know, and the people in their life that know them. And so that's something important to consider about your client. And plus, I mean, it's, you know, for them to, you know, hear how messed up they are, how they're not the same. And, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable for someone to listen to that. You know, I, I wouldn't want to sit there and have my family members come in and be like, you know, he's a broken man. He's not the same as what he was. He can't have, you know, engage with my son or my kids. And that would be tough. And so does the need to subject them to that additional stress and, you know, harm necessary for trial? And I don't think it is. I think you can have them off to the sidelines if they want to come back and be there. That's what they can do. So, so when you have your client, you know, think about that for your case. You know, it's, they don't need to be there. They don't have to go through everything. And I think jurors get it. I mean, I, you know, and, the, and I think they recognize, like, they may not want to be there, you know, or they may be having a bad day, right? So don't think that the jury necessarily is going to be offended. Now, some trial lawyers disagree with that. You know, they're like, look, if the jury's burdened to be there, then the client needs to be there too. So it's kind of, you know, there's two sides to, to every, every coin, there's two sides to this issue, but I, I just think that it doesn't the the beneficial magnitude versus the the detriment I think um, is is outweighed by this detriment. So I know we're 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 here um, in in part of my lecture series about trial uh, without my my partner Jordan on the show, but I want to give some some kind of some tips and some advice for some of the younger lawyers based upon you know kind of struggles that I had early on and and how they can address that. You know, trial as a young lawyer, for me, was it was really expensive. You know, so I had to make the decision on, you know, my decisions about who I call and what I do and what experts and the demonstrators I got were really dictated by the amount of money that I was willing to say, can I just lose this? Now, there are various programs where you can, you know, insure your costs you can get funding for litigation expenses. So there's a ways to offset that that, you know, I don't really know that were necessarily available when I first started out. So if you're worried about that kind of stuff, look into that. Obviously look into, you know, and if you have any questions or comments, you want to reach out to me, the ones that I work with, I'm more than happy to share that information. So let me know. But, you know, don't allow the, the idea of trial to say, well, you know, I can't afford to lose, you know, and, and I feel like that happens. Like there's a settlement offer. I can make some money. You know, if I go forward, you know, am I going to turn this down? I might lose. And it's true. You might lose, you know, but you know, one, one thing I said is I, I never wanted to have my decisions that were in regards to trial dictated by the needs of the personal law firm, right? If, if, if I'm going down, I'm going down with the ship. And so 
one thing you have to ask yourself is like when you have a settlement offer prior to trial is say, is there too much risk for the client and for yourself? Not in the sense that you might lose, but the likelihood of loss is higher than it should be. And if it is, then you may want to consider a resolution of the case because the only like you don't the only ability to control risk is through settlement and and I don't want to 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 make it look like I'm promoting settlement in terms of trial. If you have with the appreciation of risk in your particular case an opportunity to get money for your client that is a fair result under the circumstances, then you should do that. And and if the client is happy with it. If not, you know, that is when you say, "Look, you're going to go to trial. And, you know, I have seen cases where, you know, I'm, it's a parking lot crash. I, I did a proposal for settlement where I, it's a basically, and for those not in Florida, it's a, it's a settlement device that if I propose it to you and you don't pay it within 30 days and I get a verdict that is 25% higher than what I offered, they have to pay attorney's fees and costs from that time. I had a case that was a parking lot crash. Did a proposal for settlement for $20,000. They said no. We went to trial. Got a $200,000 verdict. You know, on a case that, you know, no injections, no surgery. You know, one of my first trials, I think I only asked for like four hundred grand, And then we beat the PFS. They had to pay attorney's fees on top. So, you know, if you set, at, you know, kind of that lower benchmark and say, look, this is where we're at. If they don't want to pay you, you got to go try the case. But... You, there's ways you can keep costs down, but also at the same time you get get funding to the extent necessary to kind of offset some of your risk that will allow you to get a better result for your client. So just be mindful of that, um, you know, moving forward. Number two, like if if you don't think you're like if you don't feel comfortable and you're not like I'm not ready, you know, try to talk to other lawyers, you know, talk to another lawyer and say, Hey, I got this case. I think it's a trial case. You know, I don't know if I'm the right person to do it and see about bringing someone in to co-counsel and to try the case with you. You know, you can do that. Lawyers are willing to say, Hey, you want to come in and try this case? You want to help me out? You know, you've got a lot of experience. You've done this. I want to learn from you, you know, and you as like, like the greatest confident or compliment um, excuse me, to me as a lawyer is when someone says, look, you know, I've got this interesting issue. It's a big case. It's important to me. You've done great. Will you come and try the case with me? Absolutely. You know, now the only thing that I'll say is if you, if you want to bring someone in, make that decision, you know, not the week before trial, you know, let someone come in 60 to 90, at least not, you know, I would say 90 days because there's expert work, <clears throat> motions, things that can be done that'll really can effectuate, you know, kind of that work up to trial. So don't be afraid to, to associate and co-counsel with another lawyer. You know, if you, if you, you know, sometimes people are like, well, I don't want to, you know, if it's a 50, 50 arrangement, I'm giving away half of my fee. You know, you also want to think about the potential for uptick in terms of recovery for your client. Right. And so it may be you, you you're 40% of a, of a, an amount maybe less than 20% of a, you know, with, with a co-counseling with someone. So just think about that kind of stuff and, and don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. I mean, I know that, you know, Ray teaches at St. Thomas. Um, he, you know, talks to lawyers that ask for help. 
Um, you know, I help lawyers if they want to come in. I say, look, here's some of my notes for jury selection opening. Here's a PowerPoint. You know, there's various listservs for plaintiffs. Well, like the, the, the thing about the plaintiff's bar is we, are, we want to help you. We want to help everyone. Now, there may be some people that may not want to give back and give time, but I think that the best thing that we can do is that if I can help someone, you know, and I raise the value and the insurance carrier isn't getting the, the lawyers that want to just settle for peanuts and everything starts getting raised, it's going to raise it for all of us, you know. They all, and that saying, I know it's as cheesy as it is, that rising tides raise all ships, it's true. At least in the plaintiff's bar. So don't be afraid. Like, get in these listservs. Get in the organizations. FJA, you know, uh, Florida Justice Association. You know, I'm actually members of a couple of groups out of California. Um, God, what is that? The, it's like it, they're, they're TBIs-type uh, related stuff. They put on a couple presentations. But, you know, they've, I've gotten intakes for traumatic brain injury. Um, yeah, it's TBI Med Legal is the conference. Um, you know, there's the Brain Injury Association of California. So there, there's all of these different things that you can find out as a young lawyer to, to really try to help you with trial. Do that. Do that. Don't afraid to ask for help and, and recognize like, look, there's so much information out there and so many resources and so many older lawyers that are saying, look, they're willing to help. Hey, you got this issue. You've ever dealt with this. And a lot of times people have dealt with it. I mean, we had a, I had a trucking case where there was an inclement weather case, and I went into, like, I'm a member of the uh, plaintiff's lawyers that, that deal with the trucking cases, and the I asked a question and said, look, did anybody deal with this inclement weather, blah, 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 and then particular experts, and instantly I had a bunch of people that were willing to help, you know, to the point that I had, you know, I think I had an opening statement, some PowerPoint slides that I thought were really effective, you know, and then we had conversations about, oh, you have this expert, I'm actually deposing them now here, you know, we'll, we'll trade information and help out because that's the thing. I mean, we're all in this together. We're here to, to win for our clients against, you know, the insurance carriers and the defense firms that, you know, that are, that are doing the opposite, which is, you know, they're, they're fighting for their clients, but just, I mean, they don't get paid to win. They get paid to act. Right. So win, lose or draw, they're getting paid. They may lose a client, you know, but at the same time as we've got somebody's life who's upended. And if we lose, I mean, they, you know, that's it. And so, you know, it's important to take advantage of all of the resources you can and have available um, in terms of your preparation for trial. So. But I think, uh, you know, a little over 30 minutes now uh, into the lecture series and without Jordan here, it's, I mean, I can t I can talk about trial um, you know, till I'm blue in the face, but I, I really appreciate you, you guys coming to my Ted talk, uh, about trial, uh, and, and things that can be done. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to reach out, let me know. Like I'm, I'm pretty open, uh, to help out. Um, you can find me on, on social media. Uh, my tag's pretty easy. It's John on justice, as you can imagine, Instagram, TikTok. uh, Twitter, although Twitter I don't use as much, but you know, the various platforms. So if you want to reach out, talk to me, have any questions, things that help, trial questions, concerns, reach out. I'm here to help. Um, but you know, as always, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, next week, it may be Jordan on Justice or John and Jordan on Justice. So we'll, we'll have to see. But uh, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for checking out the John and Jordan on Justice podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's content, consider leaving us a review and be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with John and Jordan, check out at OnJusticePod on Instagram and Twitter or check out Discord for PlaintiffAttorneys.com to communicate with them and like-minded plaintiff attorneys in a private Discord server. Until next time, this is the John and Jordan on Justice Podcast. Podcast.